Welcome to this episode of The Chaplain's Chair, a thought-provoking podcast about religion, faith, family, and yes, even some politics sprinkled in from time to time. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Anchor FM, or you can follow it on Facebook and the website, The Chaplain's Chair. This podcast will be one of those even some politics sprinkled in from time to time podcasts. In fact, the next several will be, and I really hate to call it a political issue because it's really a moral based in theology issue. Ideological movements in their rejection of God's revelation have just dismissed it as a moral issue and have made it purely a political issue, but it's a moral issue. Make no mistake. And it's something the Christians I believe must talk about. And I remember about 15 years ago, having a conversation with a pastor, we had some, disagreements, and we were discussing these disagreements uh, that we had about the role of the pulpit and political issues. And his stance went something like this. There is no place for political issues in the pulpit. And on a limited level, I agree with that. But as I recall, my disagreement with him was expressed in this way. When the political issues of the day are the moral issues of the day, the pulpit is exactly where they must be. When our politics reflects a depraved anti-biblical morality, the pulpit pulpit is exactly where they should be discussed. Now, when Christians embrace anti-biblical morality because the anti-biblical world that's all around them, whether it's our education system, our news media, or our popular culture, entertainment mediums like movies, literature, and music, has told them it's what they should believe, and they're not given any contrary information, the pulpit is where they need to hear the truth, that they might correct their wrong. Now, that lays the foundation for this series of podcasts I'm introducing today. And for the next several podcasts, at least, I'll be talking about the sanctity of life. I hate to use the common vernacular, but I will for the sake of those who know it only by that abortion. I don't know how many podcasts it will be. I'm thinking at least three. I want to be presenting a theological argument, a historical argument, an argument from a personal experience I had in my personal ministry with an abortion survivor and the crime that was perpetuated on her by anti-biblical forces that told her it was okay to have an abortion, to murder her unborn child. I'll be blunt about it. Well, her story is a powerful one of pain, grace, and forgiveness, and it's one that you won't hear in the media. But we need to get there first. We need to build the irrefutable argument against abortion. And this first podcast is to make the biblical case that life begins at conception. At conception. At conception. So let's begin there. I don't think there's any better indicator of the spiritual condition of a man or a nation than how they feel about innocent life. I don't think there's any better indicator of the spiritual condition of a man or a nation than how they feel about the image of God. And there is no bigger moral issue in the public right now, in in my mind, than this question. And why? Why is that? Because it concerns the image of God. Now, the recent contention of the expected overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision in the United States marks a very clear division in our nation, and it reveals a sharp division in our individual morality. And it also reveals a deep chasm of evil that this nation either wants to embrace or eradicate. And don't think for a second that God has no position on this matter. He does. And this series of podcasts is going to look at it. And I want to begin building my lessons in the Bible. The Bible speaks authoritatively on the issue. Some may not believe that, and that's fine, but that doesn't change the fact. Take it up with the author. 
The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Well, let's first establish this. This is the fundamental theological foundation for this issue. God created man in his image and gave him life. Life comes from God. The life of man is in God's image. To kill a man is to attack the image of God. In his first institution of human government, entrusted to Noah and his descendants after the flood, God said this in Genesis 9, verse 6, And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So there you have a great truth. To kill a man is to attack the very image of God. Nothing says, I don't regard the sovereignty or authority of God more than to destroy the image of the Creator. There is no greater overt act of rebellion than attacking the image of God. The death penalty was required for those who did. That's a podcast for a separate issue or a separate time. But anyone who would attack the image of God was deemed unfit to live among men. And further in this verse, man was given dominion over nature. Man in the image of God is above nature. So we could dispense with the notion that an animal is equal to a man, and thus killing an animal equates to killing a human. It doesn't. Animals were not created in the image of God. And again, that's a topic of study for another time, so let's move on. So the question then is, when does this life, this life that comes from God, begin? When is an unborn child considered life? At conception? In the third trimester? at the first breath. These questions to me only serve as distractions, but they seek to settle the question in a way that will satisfy the humanist. And whatever position makes you feel better about it is the one that usually you will embrace or gets embraced. These questions don't really consider the theism angle at all, but they profess that they do. But these questions don't really consider the Bible at all. What does God feel about it never really enters the equation. That's not the approach I'm going to take to answer this question. I'm going to let the Bible answer for itself, because there is the Bible's answer, and then there's every other answer. And what the audience decides to do with that information I provide in this podcast is on them. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about the matter by reading to you what it says. Argue with God if you don't agree. You're free to not agree, but you take it up with God. I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Luke where the record of the announcement of the coming of the Savior Jesus Christ is given to Mary by the angel Gabriel. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. And I'm going to start reading there. Again, I'm reading from the King James Bible. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail! Thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. 
and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now some things to notice about this passage. The first thing, Mary's impending pregnancy is announced as future. Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, not thou hast. Well, that means the conceiving will be in the future. How much into the future? doesn't say. But at this point, according to the text, Mary has not yet conceived, but is told that she will conceive in the future. Mary wants to know how that will happen as she's a virgin. Well, let's look at what the text says. It says the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, not has come upon you. Again, it's future. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, not has overshadowed. Again, future. A life is announced as coming. And this is before any biological or supernatural process has even taken place. Now, as an aside, I like that word overshadow here. It means protection. In the future, not only will she conceive by the Holy Ghost, but the power of the highest will protect her and the child. God himself oversees and protects the process. Now, that's an important point to grasp because it's going to illuminate other verses we're going to be looking at. That's powerful. It's amazing. It's awesome. I want you to hold your place there. And I want you to go and look at a different narrative from a little bit into the future. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, in verse 18. Now it says there, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Well, God's will has been activated here, and Mary is now presently pregnant. She is with child. But we know how Joseph reacted. They not consummated their relationship or their marriage yet, and he thought her unfaithful, as it says in verse 19. Then Joseph, being her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. And the Bible continues in there and, and, and says this in verse 20 and into verse 21. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son. Well, some things to take from this. That which is conceived in Mary was a son, a child, a life, the Lord and the giver of life. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Well, let's continue. Let's go back to Luke. Angel Gabriel tells her that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant with we know, John the Baptist, and she goes to visit her. Now Mary has submitted to the will of God concerning her impending pregnancy, saying, Let it be done unto me according to thy word. Now, some things that the Bible does not tell us, I don't really think are relevant to the life discussion, the, the life question, but I want to go over them anyway in a little parenthetical commentary. We don't know exactly the exact moment when Mary became pregnant. I personally think it happened at the moment Mary submitted to the revelation of Gabriel, but I can't say that with any certainty. And we also don't know how long Mary's visit with her cousin lasted. Some think at least three months until the birth of John the Baptist, and then she went back home. We don't know how far along in the pregnancy Mary was when Joseph found out she was pregnant. The Gospel of Matthew only says that she was found to be with child. Found would imply, I think, that people began to notice, perhaps a baby bump. And of course, that's in the realm of conjecture. If Mary left uh, to visit Elizabeth not looking pregnant, and then came back three months later with a baby bump. This would explain why others, first of all, noticed it. And it would 
give us some sort of explanation as, as to why people would have thought her pregnancy was of fornication and why Joseph would have said, hey, you were unfaithful to me. That's a theory that lives on to this day, by the way. Again, it's conjecture, but it's irrelevant to the when does life begin question. Now, when Mary arrives at her cousin's house, Elizabeth is overjoyed. Now, I want to look at that record, and that's in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 to 43. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? A few things to notice about this passage. Elizabeth here is at least six months pregnant. According to the biblical record, her child, John the Baptist, is called a babe who leaped in her womb. He'd not taken a single physical breath, but is considered a babe, not a fetus, not a glob of cells, not stem cell tissue, but a babe. Elizabeth refers to Mary as a mother, even though she'd not yet given birth. Mary's very early in her pregnancy, probably the first trimester, and is considered as having given life. Now, Elizabeth references the fruit of Mary's womb. Now, this reference to fruit is important. I want to emphasize that. And why is the reference to fruit so important, you ask? Because fruit represents life. Blessed is the life in Mary's womb. Well, how can you say that, Tim? That's just your interpretation. Well, is it? Well, let's, let's look. Let's let the Bible interpret itself. We look back in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, which we already read. It says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. Fruitful? Have children. Multiply. Genesis 30, verse 2, it says, And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of thy womb? And fruit here refers to the children that Rachel wanted, but was unable to conceive. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 13, it says, And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb. Fruit of the womb is a child. Deuteronomy 28, verse 4 and verse 11. It said, Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body. Fruit is a child. And notice Elizabeth said, Blessed was the fruit of Mary's womb. Psalm 127 verse 3, I think is the most plain you're going to get it. It says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Fruit of the womb refers to children. It doesn't get any more plain than that. Micah 6, 7, to kind of round out these verses here, it says, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body? It refers to the firstborn, a child, being the fruit of the body. Well, so let's go back to Luke chapter 1, and this time in verse 44. Now, Elizabeth again refers to the babe in her womb. And I want also to enter a prophetic reference here. The Lord Jesus Christ was a physical descendant of King David. And God had promised David that his seed, his lineage, would sit forever on the throne. Now, in the Psalms, this promise is recorded this way. In Psalm 132, verse 11, it says, The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. 
Well, there's that word fruit again. This is hundreds of years before Gabriel's salutation to Mary, before the revelation to Joseph in a dream, before the birth of the man who was to be the heralder of Christ's coming, referred to as a real life. Now, what do all of these scriptures reveal to us? Now, I want to summarize. The first one, life comes from God. Two, life is made in God's holy image. And three, to destroy God's image was punished by death. Four, that the life of Jesus was decided before the conception. Five, that Mary was considered as being pregnant with life at conception. Six, that God was operative in the creative and protective process of that child. Seven, that after conception, Mary was considered a mother very early in her pregnancy, prior to giving birth. Eight, the fruit of the womb refers to children, and Elizabeth refers to the fruit or child in Mary's womb before viability, before any certain stage of pregnancy, before any breath had been taken. Nine, that Elizabeth referred her own pregnancy as a babe before he had taken a breath outside of her body. Now, I want to summarize today with some additional verses of life in the, in the womb referring to Others, Ezekiel 21, 22 to 25, it says, If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit, is that word again, depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determined. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, Stripe for stripe. Now, that woman is considered to have a child with child. This is referring to what happens if a woman gets wounded and has a miscarriage. And again, that's a topic for another podcast. But the babe in her womb is referred to as a child. Job 33, verse 4. Job says, The Spirit of God hath made me. And the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in chapter 1, verse 5, in his book, Before I formed thee in the belly. This is God talking to Jeremiah. Before I formed thee in the belly. Before. Before a conception. I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Life before conception in the mind of God. Certainly in the biological process, life is at conception. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14, it says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. When does the wonderfully made process start? Well, we can't talk about, well, the first breath, because that that making process is about complete. We can't say that, well, it's in the third trimester because there's a lot of wonderful making going on up to that point. David wrote in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. She was considered his mother at conception. Life in the womb at conception, God operative in a creative process. Now, part two of this podcast, this series, is going to address 
the crime of abortion from a biblical and a historical standpoint. Now, this podcast may have opened some scars for some, if I can get serious for a second. It may have convicted some of advocacy for a sinful practice. Maybe you've chanted, my body, my choice. And the intent of these podcasts is not to beat you over the head with a hammer to make you feel guilty or any of that. It's meant to tell you the truth. And one of the first roles in soul, in soul care for a chaplain in soul care is to tell you the truth. And it's meant to get you before God and confess it is sin. He's waiting to forgive you and set you on the right path. And God knows that we at times sin out of ignorance. God knows we sin because we're uninformed. God knows we sin because we can be deceived. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, God understands if you sin out of ignorance, he's going to wink at that. But it says, he commands all men everywhere to repent. Once you hear the truth, once you know the truth, you have a responsibility to repent if it is sin. Well, there's a why attached to this too, because he hath a point of the day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. You know, that man that was considered life in the womb at conception, that man whereof he hath given assurance to all men in that he raised him from the dead. I'm going to close this podcast this way. Now, perhaps this podcast showed you the error of your thinking. Okay, go to God and tell him. Tell him in your own words that you're sorry you offended him, that you were wrong, and that you will submit to his will and that it, and his truth. Now, I know from experience he'll forgive you. And then I want you to join me again for part two of this series. And I want you to meditate on the things that you've heard today. And I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Chaplain's Chair. If you enjoy the podcast, I invite you to leave a comment and review on the platform you're listening from or visit www.thechaplainschair.com and leave a comment there or on the Facebook page. You can help grow the podcast by sharing it with your friends on your favorite social media platforms. I thank you for your support. Thank you.